the insurance sector is facing similar challenges as the banking sector. While fintech companies are here to bring changes in banking and in our everyday lives, insurtechs are ready to enter the insurance market and use technology to disrupt it. These tech-savvy players are developing innovative products which they deliver digitally and in a fraction of the time. While a couple years ago insurtechs and incumbent insurance companies were considered competitors and the question was who would win the race, today collaboration seems to be the key word. In this episode of Fintech Flow, we will discuss what is the reasoning behind seeking this collaboration between insurers and insurtechs. We will also discover how a traditional big financial institution, as an insurance company carrying all its legacy, can work successfully together with the small, tech-savvy, design-thinking startups. Welcome to Fintech Flow, where we deep dive into the depth and complexity of successful startups, sit down with bright fintech minds, and bridge together the gap in mindset between the legacy players and today's innovators. With 10 years' experience as a manager in the financial sector, MIT-certified fintech expert Linda Shalai is prepared to put it all in play and to follow the flow. Today, I have an awesome guest to discuss all this. He is Nick Sur, co-founder and CEO of Costco. Costco is an insurtech-as-a-service company who designs, distributes, and runs digital insurance products for any distribution channel. They enable big insurance companies to create value proposition to their customers in a matter of weeks at a fraction of the cost, or as they put it, they enable oil tankers to move like speedboats. Not only their work, but their list of awards also show that they are really here to make an impact. Just to mention one, Costco was selected as Best Outsource Partner of 2017 at Digital Post, Digital and InsurTech Awards. So I'm sure Nick is the best person to help me get around how a cooperation between insurers and InsurTechs can be successful. Nick, welcome to Fintech Flow. Hi, Linda. Thank you very much um, for having me on this awesome introduction. Not sure whether I'm the best person, but I'm more than happy to share our experience. <laughs> okay, let's say you're one of the best. And I'm sure about that, because if you were selected as best buddy for insurers at this award, that should mean that you know something around that. <laughs> I know something, yes. <laughs> First of all, I would like to ask you to give us a quick overview about how you see the present and the future of the insurance and the insurtech scene. Okay, so so I think um, let me start with um, the the future of where I think insurance is going to go. Then how insurtechs are are tackling tackling that space and um, what my view around um, what that could mean for insurers. Um, so I think on the general market outlook, um, there's three main trends that will impact the insurance um, sector. Um, no one knows exactly um, when and um, at what speed, but um, the Im- these impacts are, there's gonna be a shift towards more um, ecosystems. Um, and it's just a fancy word whereby um, different um, you know, customer acquisition um, entities and brands and service providers are learning to work together to provide holistic user experiences and service portfolios without having the user to kind of self-select. And, you know, you have travel, wealth, health, mobility, etc. The second trend is with the advent of data and the customer um, sharing, um, probably more consciously in the future, sharing more data, insurance will move away from 
asking the customer questions about their preferences, what they really do, and the customer being able to share this data to um, provide fit for purpose insurance products. We, I personally call it insurance as utility. And lastly, insurance will move away from indemnification um, towards prevention and um, replacement. Now, no one really knows exactly at which point and um, with which impact these trends will uh, materialize. But one thing is for certain, all of them require insurance companies and insurtechs to open up their value chains. Um, it's about connectivity and flexibility to quickly engage in partnerships, double down on those that work and not waste too much money on those that don't. So it's really around partnerships, collaboration, reducing opportunity costs. Any investment in that area will, play, uh, will pay massive dividends in the future. That's an interesting overview and I agree that insurers are slowly starting to realize it and they are more and more engaging open innovation and opening their doors to other players like InsurTechs. Absolutely. And I think it's totally fair that, you know, it, it takes time to do these things. So you got to start now. Um, sometimes the the business cases might not seem that obvious, but truth be told, if they were, it wouldn't be a new opportunity. Someone um, would have followed through. So there is to, you know, there's some form of um, calculated risk taking involved here as well. Now, if you believe that these three trends will somewhat impact the insurance space, um, there's really two ways insurtechs are tackling this. One, you kind of have the pure play um, insurtechs that either have a full insurance license or on an MGA front, and they're betting that they can, by starting on a greenfield approach, being much more tech savvy, much more open, that they can build a brand, build partnerships, or sell to the customer directly, which again is a partnership play because you need to understand you know, um, um, online marketing, et cetera, which is different by channel, that they can build these things up faster then the insurance companies um, can um, upgrade their, let's say, legacy IT systems, but even more importantly, their mindset and governance structures on how to make decisions, um, make them fast, and not waste so much time um, talking about stuff internally. Yes, I could agree. But on the other hand, I could also argue with that. Because if you think about it, insurers are built for centuries. Insurance itself is usually mid-term, long-term business, especially if you think about life or health insurance. So is it sure that speed is so important? These are just the two kind of base hypotheses. Personally, our business model is um, to help incumbents, um, you know, speed things up, remove um, opportunity costs of deployment. So I would very much, and I am, um, bet my money on um, insurers changing faster than other um, players being able to build trust, um, understand the insurance um, landscape, and really changing, you know, the 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 customer interaction with the insurance product. Now, I think it's a fair point that you mentioned. Speed is not a virtue in and of itself. And you know, when people say, "Oh, I can build an insurance product in X days," I would say, "Who cares?" Right? Um, it's not actually about doing it in four days, it does make a difference whether you say, um, you know, you can do it in one or two months versus one to two years. And, and the reason um, that is, it has more to do with 
if you ship quickly, what you're actually thinking about is you're thinking about your product deployment, let's say, like software and certain versions, right? You know, have version one, version two, version three, rather than what the insurance companies usually have tried to do is spot something in the market, pay a consultancy, I don't know, um, and then go back to the drawing board for three years and then they go with a big bang and usually wonder why they've missed the market or they don't get the customer feedback. So the reason for speed to market on engaging with new products and channels, it is risk management. It's just so much better to deploy something that is 90% ready of all the functionality that you think and bring it to market because it allows you to prioritize features based on the actual interaction and uptake of the product. It, allows, it just gives you, um, it's just less resource wasteful. As simple as that. That's an interesting point. So you would define the quick execution as risk management tool? Absolutely, absolutely. Because when we go, when we go um, in engagements with insurers, so the, you, they usually kind of have a, this is our requirements, right? What's the cost? And then it's like, okay, you know, we can we can play that game, but really, um, not all of these requirements are equally relevant in order to um, you know onboard distribution partners, onboard customers, drive up volume, optimize underwriting, optimize operational costs. But the simple truth is you don't start with operational cost optimization before you have your first, I don't know, cohort of a thousand, five thousand, whatever that number is, customers in. Um, so by staging it on priority, speed is really around risk management because it um, forces you to rethink it. And what we ask our insurance customers is, okay, we'll play this game, but so... When do you want to go live? Because I can tell you exactly if you want to go live in four weeks and 12 weeks in six months, that is the type of requirements and the cost that I can provide that with you. So we suggest, why don't we do the first version in six weeks and then we continuously iterate. And that just massively the risks um, miss, you know, product, product market fit, but also picking us as a vendor um, because you see very quickly whether we can keep up our promises, which is in a large project you just see at the very end. Yeah, that's true. In your experience, how do insurers react to this? Because as you said, insurers like to think everything through twice and then build a product that is untouched for a couple of years. How do they take your approach? So I think there's no such thing as, you know, the insurance company. You have different departments with different needs within an insurance company. So at the minimum, um, you always, and you cannot, you know, do this 80%. You need to make sure that you follow all the requirements about legal, compliance, IT security, etc. There's no, you know, excuse my French, half-assing it, right? Um, it's, it's just, you know, we're not selling, I don't know, popcorn online here. Um, so so that, that is just a given. That's a condition. Now, if you kind of look at um, different departments within an insurance company, so usually what we find is that product and distribution, and to me, marketing is part of distribution as well. They have a much higher need of speed to market and flexibility because they want to follow the opportunities that, that they see in the market and um, capture them. Now, here, especially speed to market is of the essence. 
right? Um, so let's say you're in a in a tender to I don't know um, do a new airline travel insurance program or a bank insurance program. If you can show up and say, "Here's our portfolio. We can go live in four weeks." rather than let's talk about it for nine to 12 months and then we'll sign a 20-year contract. Um, you can see how that speed to market can be a massive competitive advantage over other, let's say, more traditional carriers in their product deployment. And we've um, actually um, enabled some of these RFPs to be busted on um, in within the interest of both the bank and the insurance company because we're just um, then pushing products to market rather than, you know, um, going through lists on, on Excel. Um, now, conversely, if you are, let's say, um, an IT architect, right, and you have a, a whole range of different systems and you know perfectly well the pain points that kind of come from not having a coherent view and you just want to kind of keep the pieces in place, then your view is very different. You'd like to have a coherent IT architecture and platform and try to standardize. And this is... Um, this will be an, there's no perfect answer to this. This will be an ongoing calibration of where standardization and flexibility, where they meet, because it's a little bit like, is it centralized or decentralized organization better? Both have advantages and disadvantages, but insurers need to be able to do both. So our, we propose a third solution, if you like, to say, you, you, if, you know, optimize your core. That's exactly what you do your existing business, but have an alternative way um, by partnering with um, companies such as ourselves um, to making sure that on the new engagements where the highest risk right now is not, let's say, standardization, it is making sure that we get to product, product market fit and have an you know, focus on flexibility and speed rather than standardization. And then at some point, these portfolios will either perform or they'll dribble out. And as they grow, you on a per product and portfolio basis, you can then decide to either, you know, standardize a little bit more on um, the middle layer that we provide, or then actually create a business case to 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 phase it out um, on our platform and then do the standardization. But then you know exactly that you have volume, you know the data models, you know the distribution plays, rather than assuming that you might understand this. And I think it'll just be a continuous wheel of building up the portfolio on the front and then standardizing batches of it in, in the back end. And to me, that is... Um, how I see the tech stack of an insurance company um, developing. Yeah, it all makes sense. And also, I guess it leaves some room to fail and learn from it and then fail better the second time. Is it something that the insurance companies can engage easily? I mean, honestly, I think, you know, fail fast. Um, I prefer, um, you know, just to, to kind of learn fast. And I think it's, you know, get, get outside the building. And, um, you know, it's not really about failure to me. It's about um, appreciating that whatever we come up with internally before it sees the light of date with our distribution partner or consumers, um, the probability of us getting it perfect is very slim. So it's not Getting it right the first time or not getting it right is not about failure. It's just minimizing the risk and appreciating that it's a complex world. And it's very unlikely um, to um, get it right the first time. Um, so that's just on on that fail fast, learn fast. Um, now, I think um, 
I would say um, for insurance companies, again, um, there's different streams of people. There are people um, who um, see the world kind of kind of changing. They'll see that some, you know, something is on, on the horizon. But for them, it's really around um, how can I get incrementally but fast, get to this point without, um, you know, um, challenging what's working really well, um, whilst not, you know, um, um, passing on to the future. So I think um, at the end of the day, it's really, um, it's really around uh, making sure that the opportunity costs of making calculated bets make commercial sense. Um, and I think that's about it, right? I think previously it was always so expensive to go into a new business. You know, you had these multi-million business plans that needed to be uh, where you needed to have an ROI because there's only so many multi-million, you know, euro, dollar, pound, whatever bets that you can make. This now changes if you can bet on a portfolio of, let's say, um, you know, a couple of, you know, 25 to 50,000 bets. You can do a, a bunch of them. Now on those that work, yeah, the investment will then actually, you know, increase as you put scale on top of it, but you'll increase it on things that are proven rather than assumed. So we see an increasing trend. We see an increasing change in mindsets. Um, and this has also been, um, I would say, supported or corroborated by new players entering the market. You know, you have VC-backed insurtechs that are trying to capture the customer um, distribution um, point themselves, or you have tech companies uh, moving into the space. You have large um, car manufacturers moving into the space, retailers. So a lot of people are thinking insurance is an interesting part of any, part, any person's value chain. And if they don't invest in technology, so they, they're basically saying, if I understand the customer, I understand technology, I can understand insurance as well. Um, and if they're not ready to play, then we'll just do it ourselves. So I think that has changed a little bit the, the urgency of um, moving and, and changing their existing ways. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And to be honest, I think we can also see it on the market that the big insurance companies see this and they are trying to change. A step one, they are trying to keep up with digital innovation and customer centricity. And they also discovered that they may not be the best in that. So as you mentioned, they are looking for collaboration. But I think we can also experience that it's not an easy business for a big insurer to successfully collaborate with a small tech service startup. So I would like to talk about it a bit. What are the key issues that should be figured out in order to have a successful cooperation between an insurer and an insurer? I mean, that's, you know, that's the classical points of, you know, making sure that you that you are aligned, that you understand each other, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I'm not going to kind of regurgitate those points. Um, I think on the one side, it is um, very important for uh, insurtechs to have a level of maturity. Because quite frankly, if you're a five-person startup with two developers and three business developers, you'll just not have the technology and the understanding of really helping an insurer um, within their kind of value chain. So I think insurers have kind of gone back from, oh, let's have a bunch of startup pitches and it's great, you know, five guys in a room. Um, that's really, those POCs, I, I feel, have not developed um, that fast. Again, and then I think the other thing is just to, 
um, to kind of appreciate opportunity costs within and and be open and fair about each other and um, you know have have some patience. So I think on and what insurers can certainly do um, when when engaging with startups, you know, first of all, that make sure that they even have a mandate. You know, not just inviting them for the for the sake of it. Um, that they have a budget um, to play around with it, um, but also appreciate that they might actually depending on the maturity of the startup, do have to invest a little bit of time helping them navigate the internal, um, you know, the, the, the internal compliance, IT, etc. Um, it can also help if um, on a board level that they have created certain sandboxes or, or fast tracks. So I find cloud is a, is a very good example. Uh, most insurers and banks are somewhat, you know, um, I wouldn't say skeptical, but it's it's a bit unknown. Um, but their thinking is moving everything to the cloud. So um, rather than saying we're not going to do cloud because that is, I mean that's uh, it's just idiotic, quite frankly. Um, you know, that's now it's 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 just like uh, I'm not going to do, going to use email or something. It's you know it's just so obviously more more efficient um, um to to go on the cloud and there's you know these things are so secure these days but it's then to say okay rather than moving everything in one go um on a pilot basis with a limited number of customers etc we can make a risk exception for example right um, because it's one thing to move a million of your customers onto the cloud then trying out uh, different propositions where possibly initially there's just a couple of thousand on the cloud and then you can get to grips with it you can discuss this with the regulator and you kind of do it in a phased approach um the same as you know having certain contracts in place that are less less, less onerous um, um, initially, et cetera. Because, you know, if you're working with a, with a startup and you're asking about SLAs on, you know, um, do you have 24-7 phone support in all time zones? And you just kind of go, no, <laughs> that's not, cannot, cannot provide it. And I think it's it's something that you then need to provide um, um, I'm down the line, but but to kind of have a fast track. Um, on the other hand, on, on the insure text, I think it's it's being very clear of, of what you're doing. Um, I'm still surprised that people still try to push their products rather than listening to the customer and trying to figure out which part of the solution you can you can do. Um, be very professional, right? Um, you know, delaying a shipment um, or deployment internally by two weeks might not be a big deal, but if you do this for large corporates, there's communication, this has been internally communicated, you get your champion in, in quite a predicament because then you'll give so much, um, you'll give um, so much room for attack of the bureaucracy. That's why we don't work with startups; they don't get it done. So, so make sure you you're up on your game on 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 delivering as promised, being professional, etc., and um, making also, I would say, be be aware of of your own worth. So, us for example, we never do unpaid POCs or pilots. That's just not what we do. Um, I don't think, you know, we don't have to get, you know, massive amounts of payment. But if an insurer, you know, if you engage with an insurer um, and you work 20, 30 days on this engagement and the insurer is not willing to pay you for your time, but they're happy to waste it on some strategy consultants, um, then I think something is broken and then you should walk away. I think that it just has to be that level of, um, of, of respect. 
Yeah, both ways, because if it's not there, how could you have successful collaboration? Exactly. If you're so unsure, right, or, or you have such a, if you're so unsure about the value of the startup, then don't work with them. But it shouldn't be about 20,000 euros. That should not be um, the, the, the decision-making um, factor. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So we talked about some ideas how collaboration could be successful. You also talked a bit about the legacy IT systems, and I think you have a great view on how this could all work out. But I think, as in any big corporation, there is another kind of legacy. I could call it legacy management or legacy culture. So it's not an easy thing for big insurance companies with these legacies and new fast-moving startups to work together. Could you give some tips about this cultural difference? How could it be tackled successfully? Yes, yeah, so I I think, first of all, um, you know, changing a culture takes time, period, right? And if you, to me, a culture is really um, the written and unwritten rules of um, what is being incentivized, what is being punished, what is being ignored in terms of behavior. And the more coherent that is, um, you have a good culture. So if you've had a certain culture, you know, for, for, for years to come, it'll take some time for, um, for, for people's minds to shift, um, especially since, you know, talk is cheap to really, you know, is management now believing in this or it's just a, you know, new phase, a new, you know, restructuring thing, etc. So I think, first of all, an insurance company or any larger corporate needs to give them time and really needs to have um, long-term senior management commitment and not just another fad. Then, in order to make it work, is you got to let people do stuff. So don't wait to change the culture and then change the behavior. The change in behavior for the early adopters within your organization that will drive the change in the culture. So it's a feedback um, um, loop. So it's really, really important to let, um, if you believe in, let's say, enablement, taking responsibility, fail fast, you just have to let them do that because otherwise um, it's not going to happen and you need to let your early adopters then convince you know, uh, the mainstream part of, of your organization. Also appreciate that some people won't take that change with you. And then you need to decide what to do with these people, which again is part of the culture, whether you'll say, um, you know, we'll, we, we're going to part ways or whether you say, honestly, you know, if, if, if you've contributed to this enterprise for, you know, years to come, um, you know, you're part of the family and maybe, you know, we'll just, you know, not have you fully commit to the to the new way of thinking. Um, and I think, lastly, also one thing, and this is again, um, maybe more of a caveat to the first point. Once you let the genie out of the bottle, you need to keep the room open for your early adopters, because what we see a lot, you'll open up this kind of fast track thing. Um, these people get in, they're successful, and success then breeds further changes. Because it's really easy to try something and fail. What's actually hard is try something, succeed, and then driving change further down the, the organization. That's where people all, all of a sudden go, oh, we, we, just, we just thought they'll fail. <laughs> you know? um, and weren't really ready to the follow-on changes. So unless you 
keep um, keep the room and the pipes open for 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 these people. Um, they got a taste of it. They they um, and and they'll leave you. So you you basically need to manage both sides of it um, and um, do it in 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 steps. But make sure that once you've gotten that traction, those people will ask for more responsibility, um, for more accountability as well. Right? All they always go hand in hand, but they'll want for more freedom, and that is kind of how you bring that entrepreneurial spirit into the organization. I guess maybe, and that is, you know, there's there's the the um, you know the question about make or buy. So I think the the and it's not just about the technology, right? It's really about the way of of, of working. And I think, um, irrespective of whether you think that you could have you could build up the own capabilities at some point, um, I think it makes always more sense um, because it's just. Um, it's just less risky and there's no real drawback is to say partner with an insurtech if you think that they can help you in the value, you know, if there's a time to market um, issue or, you know, they, they can add value, work with them because they'll they'll show you a little bit how to work. There's certain technologies and by collaborating, you'll kind of inject that um, both parties learn from each other. The startup gets a little bit more professional. The insurer um, gets a little bit more entrepreneurial. Um, and at that point, you can still see whether, um, you know, if then the startup magic has has kind of waned and, you know, you're just realizing these guys, as we say in Germany, just cook with water and there's no real magic behind it. You can still decide to retro build um, the capabilities. Yeah. You mentioned an interesting thing that both parties could learn from each other. You mentioned that startups could learn how to be more professional and on the other hand they could bring some entrepreneurial spirit to a big financial institution. Can we dig a little bit deeper on this topic? What could they learn from each other? Yeah, so so I think on on the professional aspect, I think it's just um, understanding that as organizations become more complex, um, there are certain knock-on effects um, as you, you know, drive a new project, a new product, a new feature, change program through an organization. If you're a small organization, you don't really need to make sure, um, you don't need to um, make so much effort to actively communicate because it's kind of implicitly understood and, um, you know, that's just easier. But by working with large corporates, um, you'll realize that um, you got to be you know, that planning has its purpose, that you need to make sure of the interdependencies. And that is something that I think startups um, can learn as they grow themselves, because at some point you need to, you know, start setting up hierarchies, um, more rules, uh, more guidelines as you grow, because not everything is implicitly understood. And I think on the on the corporate, it is, um, I guess, the main thing from, from a corporate perspective that is different, it's just to say, um, if you take take more responsibility and more accountability and not worry too much about, you know, making it perfect, but it, it's I think what's really it's around getting that error culture right, not trying to make sure that you'll cover your ass, but it's just to say, okay, this didn't work. Okay, now let's 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 fix it. So um, the energy provided towards creating something and solving something rather than defending a decision, um, I think, is really what um, is what I mean um, um, 
is, is especially interesting from the entrepreneurial mindset towards the organization. Absolutely. In your experience, is this entrepreneurial spirit something that is present at big financial institutions? Like you can fail, you can learn from it, and you look forward and try to tackle the obstacles? Or is it the other way around and projects cannot fail? If they fail, they need to be explained why it was not a failure, actually. I think it's a journey. Um, yeah, I would say there's more and more, um, um, you know, there's a mindset shift, there's a culture shift, there's a governance shift. It's more and more. But um, this also takes time because, um, you know, you don't do this just for the sake of, um, you know, altruistic reason. The assumption behind it is by giving more responsibility and accountability um, to to um, your your colleagues um, that you'll make better decisions, right? But this now need to, also needs to be proven, you know. Um, so I think it's a it's a process. It's certainly increasingly so. It could go much 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 better, um, and I think we're moving in into that direction. But it's um, it's at the end of the day, it'll be a shift as. Um, you know, the market is developing in a certain way as it becomes more, you know, um, from a career perspective, smarter to bet on the new things than on the old stuff, old ways of working, right? That's, that's you know, people are very rational about that, I find. It'll change with the success um, of the projects and learning from those and defining success. And also by, um, you know, people migrating from, corporates to startups and startups to corporates so there'll be um, just a mix of of mindset but it'll just take time it'll permeate through rather than a big bang but i think we're in a really good direction and again it's around at the end of the day it's around classical things like resource efficiency opportunity costs minimizing risks all I'm saying is in, an, in a world that is so changing, that is more about connectivity, flexibility, where you don't really know where the next thing is going to come from, being flexible and fast is just a very prudent way of risk management. And that will permeate through. And it already is. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you put it. And I couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, our time is up. So I'm going to try and wrap it up. So... I think we can agree that the future of insurance will be based on a more holistic view around the users and around their experience with insurance. It is important for big players to shift towards collaboration with smaller tech-savvy companies who can maybe understand the customers better, bring quicker execution and more entrepreneurial spirit to the company. They can both learn from each other. They should work respectfully together and get better and better together in what they are doing. As a big corporation, once you decide that you want to cooperate, be on board, have the mandate, have the budget and take it seriously. Yep. I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to add that you find important? No, um, I mean, um, well, I guess, you know, for all of us working either on the insurance or the startup side of, um, you know, the, the insurance um, system, I think, um, you know, everyone, you know, this is a super exciting times. We're all, um, 
you know, writing the playbook of how insurance will be deployed in the future. And I think all of us will look back five to 10 years from now and say, wow, you know, we've gone a long way. And I be- I truly believe it's it's probably never as exciting um, to work. I think it was always exciting, but as exciting to work in insurance um, as it is today. So to all of us, you know, let's let's keep up the good work. Um, let's 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 keep benefiting um, um, for the customer. Um, and, you know, um, let's let's build some great things together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Let's do that. And thank you very much for sharing your thoughts today. I really enjoyed it. Linda, thank you very much. Um, All the best. Thanks. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this topic, follow Fintech Flow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn so that you don't miss another episode.